What's up, Candy Lickers? Pleased to meet you. Nice to know me. What you doing? Listening to another episode of Casio's Cut. Welcome back to another edition of Casio's Cut. Oh, yeah. Appreciate everybody joining me. We are now up to episode unlucky 13. So hopefully this will go well and not be my last episode of the podcast. Hopefully we'll get over the 13 jinx there. I want to thank everybody for listening and coming back again. If you're new to the ride, welcome. Appreciate it. Just a reminder, next episode, the first podcast in august will be what's in casio's box and we're going to take questions from you guys anything you want to hear about a story you want to hear a question you want to ask anything you wanted to know it'll be a special episode the first episode so everybody make sure you've got your packages in to what's in casio's box that's what we'll find out next episode along with your questions if you want to send a package in, you've only got a few more days left, go ahead and send that to Casio's Cut, P.O. Box 19065, Huntsville, Alabama, 35804. That's Casio's Cut, P.O. Box 19065, Huntsville, Alabama, 35804. Thank you to everybody who's already sent something in. Can't wait to open them and uh, enjoy the ri- enjoy all of it. Uh, with you guys all at the same time. We're going to get that up on our YouTube channel that will be up and running by then. So we'll tell you how to check that out next Tuesday on episode 14. So uh, thanks everybody again for listening and thanks for uh, sending your packages. And go ahead and send those questions in. You can uh, find us on Facebook, Casio's Cut. You can send the questions in via Twitter at Casio's Cut or Instagram as well. You'll see the post go up there where you can drop those in the comment section or you can slide up in my dms and send a question there and we'll pick as many as we can and knock as many as we can out on the podcast next week as for this week i was very excited uh i uh if some of you heard maybe in the conrad episode uh, me and my lovely wife big booty judy just moved in to our new house our first house as a husband and wife uh, together, so we are rocking and rolling in home ownership, which is AKA a money pit. And uh, as we're going through that, um, I had a housewarming party this past weekend and uh, had Jimbo, well, and had the entire Rocket 95.1 staff, which is, of course, the radio station that I do in Huntsville, Alabama, uh, WRTT Rocket 95.1. And I had the entire Rocket staff over to have a housewarming party with us. And uh, so you'll hear some people in the background hanging out. We had some drinks, had a little cookout, played some board games. And in the middle of all that, 
I got my co-host, radio legend Jimbo Wood, to uh, take a break from his bottle of wine and uh, tell his stories from all his years in radio. He has decades worth of radio knowledge. So think about all the advancements that's happened in radio uh, since he got in the business. Uh, So we'll go over that. Great stories he shared with us. I was excited that he took the time out to hang out with us and tell his stories in front of a rowdy crowd. Uh, You hear some background noise. You'll hear uh, the Big Booty Judy, my wife. You'll hear uh, Shea Fox. You will hear Jack Spade. Uh, You'll hear uh, Colton in the background, our buddy Colton. You'll hear our uh, friend Leanne uh, as well is there. So we had a we had a good crowd, uh, and we oh we had Shea Fox's uh, husband Cube, uh, who was uh, rowdy with us as well. So we had a good crowd, and we all sat back and literally enjoyed the evening as Jimbo Wood held court for all of us. So sit back and relax, and we are going to start on a weird note. All right, this is starting off good. We're talking about my dog's ween everywhere, so uh, ween. We're good to go. Uh, we got uh, Jimbo Wood in the house. Jimbo F Wood in the house. <laughs> F Wood. Yeah. What's the F <laughs> I, I didn't know there was an F in it. Friggin'. Oh. Friggin'. Jimbo friggin' Wood. Friggin' Wood. You don't have to say friggin'. We're not on Rocket 95.1. I can't right get now. used to that. If I have a mic in my hand, I have to edit myself with no cussing. Well, I'm going to enjoy cussing. I was about to say, that needs to change. Yeah, I don't no, know what I'm, we got to do to get that to change. Uh, you're just going to have to keep pulling it out of me. Jimmo, just fully admit for the record, how old are you? 58. 58 years old. Give it up for that, guys. <laughs> what, that I've wait, lasted wait. this long? Wait, we, we've got a party over here and. They just wooed like they were in a library. So uh, <laughs> we're at a party. Y'all can make noise. It's okay. Uh, Hank's the only one to sleep. The pit bull is the only one to sleep. That's how we started the podcast. My wife, Big Booty Judy, saying Hank's sleeping with his ween all over the place. Mm. Mm. Well, he was. I'm glad you threw a pillow on him. Yeah, it was embarrassing. Yeah. I had to cover it up, save his dignity. Jimbo, where do we start? Jimbo is my co-host at uh, WRTT Rocket 95.1 in Huntsville every weekday morning, 6 to 10 Central. Uh, that's why he is saying he's used to having a mic in front of him and not being able to cuss or yeah. talk freely. But tonight, we talk freely. Fine, I'm ready. Let's roll. Is this Jimbo and Cassio uncensored? Okay. I like it. All right. I like it. So... After dark, I like it. Should Pick I up say the third mic if you're going to talk? I'm just kidding. Should I say I'm having a crown apple? <laughs> yeah, you should. All right. Should I what? say I've had seven? Well, sure. Cheers. Cheers to that. Mm-hmm. All right. Jimbo, um, where does it all start? Where did you – so you've been in radio. I mean, I hate to put you on the spot, but your first year in radio was what year? 1979. The year I was born was what year? 1979. 1979. <laughs> so it's easy for Jimbo to uh, to uh, say how much radio experience he has. He just asked me what my age is. Uh, <laughs> it so was summer between high school graduation and going to college, I started in radio. My dad said, "If you're going to do this radio thing, you're going to have to go and get a job in it." And he said, you need to go to TV stations and radio stations, get out. My, my dad's a traveling salesman, or he was traveling. Now he's just a salesman. 
he's older and uh, he doesn't travel as much. But back then he said he had a serious work ethic, serious work ethic. And he said, you're going to have to go out there and get yourself started yourself. Nobody's going to start it for you. So I went, I remember going to TV stations and I remember going to radio stations. I got turned down everywhere. But what made you want to go into broadcasting? Uh, my mom, I just, I knew that was supposed to be what I was. I was your dad I, doing characters by then? Cause you, people don't know your dad was doing uh, radio characters. Good call. Yeah, he did. He did radio characters with TC and John Ed back in Birmingham. And I mean, I was a kid, so early seventies, probably. Yeah. And his name was what? Marcel Bodine. Marcel Bodine. And his plans were to, his, his character plans were to jump a restaurant called Brody's. In Mountain Brook Village, he was going to jump Brody's like Evil Knievel on his motorcycle. <laughs> and he'd come on and give TC and John Ed his updates on how his motorcycle... Like he's practicing? Yeah, how it's coming. But it never came about. Never came. To, no, never came. But that about. was the funny part was his updates. Well, the fascinating thing to me was being, you know, 13 or 14 or whatever it was and, and sitting by the giant radio, because they were giant back then, and listening to my own father do this character on the radio. And I thought, well, this is the greatest thing I've ever yeah. heard in my life. In your mind, everybody in the world was listening to yeah, it, sure. not just in the neighborhood. Yeah, because I was a kid, and, you know, people would call him Marcel Bodine to his face all the time, and I'd go, yeah, he's a radio character. So I guess that might have been the, maybe that was the beginning of me wanting to be in radio. I'm not, I'm not quite sure. I don't remember exactly what made me want to go into it. I just knew that it was right, and it felt right. And... Finally, I got hired at WERC by this guy named Tom Hobson as a sales intern. And salespeople in radio aren't the funnest people. I found that out quickly. You know salespeople can hear this. Sure, whatever. Okay. I, I'm fine with them. I worked with them for 39 years. Say it. Years. Say it. Salespeople. Suck. Eh. Say it. Yeah, salespeople suck. You know you want to say it, F them. Okay, fuck him. Right. <laughs> that that is the first cuss word. Did that feel weird on the mic? Did that feel weird on the mic? Yes. Welcome to 2019 podcasting right here. <laughs> he's so, gonna forget, and come Monday morning, he's gonna be like, "What's up, fuckers?" And we're gonna be like, "All right, that was our last day on the rocket." All right. Hopefully, this podcast will take off. So, um. Sales intern. So I went to the sales side of the building. There's two sides of a building back then. And back then, there was no multiple stations in one building. It was one building and an AM and an FM. And I went to the FM sales department side and quickly caught a glimpse of the FM programming side. And it looked to me like WKRP in Cincinnati. Sure. But I wasn't allowed to go there. I had to go to the sales side where everybody had tucked in shirts and ties and suits and desks and this meticulous meeting and we had to do reports and I had to ride with salespeople and I, I wasn't into it. And, and one day I walked, I walked up the steps. I'll never forget it. It was two flights of steps, second and 18th street North downtown Birmingham, WERC, WKXX building. And I took a right, to the programming side and I know I wasn't supposed to but I did it anyway and immediately knew this is where I belonged I knew that's where I belonged because those people were fun they were in shorts and t-shirts 
shorts. And they, they were laughing and they were, you know, having a great time joking on each other. And I thought, well, what am I doing over there in the stuff shirt side? I need to be over here. And so I, uh, I went to Tom Hobson, the guy who hired, well, I didn't get hired. I was an intern, which means you don't get paid. Mm-hmm. So I went to Tom Hobson's office and I said, Mr. Hobson, I, I really need to be on the programming side. And he goes, well, I know. I wish you'd said something earlier. I know. Yeah, they all knew it. They all so you knew were off. I wasn't fitting in. So um, the next time I walked in there, it was to the programming side in shorts and a T-shirt. And I did things like drove, drive the van, uh, wash the van, you know, do, do remotes. And oh, I didn't do the remotes. I had to go be the help at the remotes. And Set I didn't, up the tables. And yeah, stuff. I didn't get paid or anything. I was just loving every minute of it. And then I had to go to college. The fall came. And um, when I went off to college, I said You're to the Montevallo. Yeah, University of Montevallo. I, I said to my boss at the time, Smoky Rivers was his name. Smoky Rivers. Isn't that a great 70s radio name? He's so still in radio on today. His birth certificate, y'all. Smoky Rivers. <laughs> <laughs> and I said to Smoky, I said, I'm going to college, but I want to stay here. I want to keep doing it, doing this stuff. I want. I know this is what I'm supposed to do. And he goes, Whatever. Hey, you want to keep driving the van? You can come up on weekends and drive the van all you want to. So I did. I came up on weekends. So all through my college career, I spent my free time at the radio station. In the summers, was all radio station, and um, that was it. I was off, and finally got on the air. I'll never forget this. Smoky Rivers, one day, nineteen nineteen. Let's see. Uh, yeah, this the Christmas vacation break of nineteen seventy nine slash eighty. Smoky, I was in the I was in the hallway and I was at a water fountain and Smoky oh, came. I was four months old. Go ahead. <laughs> Smoky came up and he goes, he tapped me on the shoulder and he goes, "Hey, I need you on the air midnight to four Saturday night." And I, oh. yeah, I can't even tell you what I I was like. You had an erection. Well. I may have had an erection. That's a fact. Um, and that was the start of it. Christmas vacation, 1979. Somebody called in sick. Almost 1980. Basically, he needed a body. Oh, yeah, no. Warm body. All, all I did was play an album. I didn't what do you even mean? talk. What do you mean you played an album? They played an album from, and from midnight to as soon as the album was over. Then they got back into regular programming, and a real guy took over. So I just went in there to play the first side of the album and my big responsibility was flipping it over start the commercials between the two sides and flip the album over and get it queued up and ready to go (laughs) and i thought i was i mean wolfgang wolfman jack Jack. but i didn't even rick d's i didn't even crack the mic yeah i just played an album you played a commercial and flipped an album (laughs) all right let's go back here's a good story uh before your your radio days you have a good backstage concert story, and that was you worked at the car wash, which was big green cleaning machine. Big green cleaning machine, and I was fifteen. And somebody came to you and said they had backstage passes to a concert. Oh, the Boston show. Yeah. Oh yeah. So I'm in high school, and uh, this kid comes. We had a smoking area at my high school. Smoking. <laughs> okay. Area. So, by, by the way, let's let's process that in 2019. Uh, you, your high school, which 
None of you are old enough to buy cigarettes at this at this point in time. I don't think there was a rule back then. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying in 2019, nobody's old enough in high school to buy right. cigarettes. That's a fact. Not only did you could you smoke them, you had a section that the school made for you. Well, it's good. Not like off in the woods hiding it. They put some pavement down. What was there? Benches? Uh, just concrete poured concrete. What they they did they did two two by four forms, poured concrete in it, and that was our seats. That was taxpayers' money. Had to pay for y'all a place to smoke, you heathens. We didn't think about that. We were 15. Look, and then now, millennials are dumb. <laughs> we're smoking at 15 at school. All they wanted to do was get us out of the school with our nasty cigarettes. I was about to say, y'all were smoking in, we were smoking in the boys' room right polluting there. Polluting the school with our smoke. Unbelievable. During breaks. So they said, we got to do something about this. And it was, you know, it was 1978, 7. And they said, uh, we got to build a smoking area for these kids. They're going to ruin the school. So um, they built the smoking area. Anyway, we went out there regularly between classes, and this one kid came up, and he held up this, this clip-on laminated pass, and all it said was, Rafino Vaughn Productions Backstage. Which, if you're from Birmingham. Rufino, Tony Rafino and... Larry Vaughn had a they, production company. They, yeah, they ran like all the concerts came to town. One of the they biggest. Were big time. You can Google that and you'll see one of Whatever the biggest. Whatever your hometown is, the biggest promoter in town, that was these guys. They gave a lot of bands their start. It was legendary. Anyway, they had Boston in town, and this kid goes, Who wants to go to Boston? Yeah. You know, 15 year old style. And I went, Well, I'll go. <laughs> Because they were one of my favorite bands of all time. You're in your then. big green cleaning machine outfit. Well, this is still in high school when he gave us the when he gave me the t uh, the the laminated pass. He goes, "Okay, well, this will get you anywhere, man. You can do anything you want in there because this is only for people who work there." So <laughs> I, he goes, "I got to have it back afterwards though because we want to go to some shows too." And I was like, "Oh yeah, okay." Strong. I said, Where, "Where'd you get this?" And he goes, "Found it on the floor at the airport." True story. So I pocket it, and Boston's coming up, and I'm at work at the big like ring. Like, that's not going to be an issue. I'm at, the, I'm at work at the big ring cleaning machine, and I'm in my big ring cleaning machine uh, jumpsuit. What do you, uh, you know, onesie? Overalls. Overalls, whatever. It goes onesie! It goes I need here. it to be a onesie. I really <laughs> do. The footies, yeah. yeah it does the wood you can throw up. Yes. Yeah. And it had a place for your, the, your for your, uh, it's your like coveralls. I had to Steve Martin from the Jerk. Steve Martin from the Jerk. <laughs> yeah. Steve Martin. Hey, from it the had jerk. it had holes right here up in my upper shoulder pocket where I could slide my uh, air checker for tires. Oh, okay, <laughs> big time. Old tire pressure checker. I could whip that out and check tires if I needed to. Did you? Sure. Oh yeah. <laughs> what happens if they were low? Did you fill them up? Yeah, or did you we just had, tell them. No, we had a compressor. We had it all. We, <laughs> we were the, had it. We were the big green cleaning machine. Anybody in this room uh, want a 15-year-old filling up your tires? No, thanks. All right, go ahead. <laughs> While he's smoking a cig, <laughs> hey, your tire's low in the back. <laughs> oh, I could tell stories about the big green all day long, but we'll leave that alone. Okay. We got all the time we want. Um, go ahead. All right, so... So you're in your outfit, and it's time to go to Boston. Okay, yeah. So it's Boston night. I had to work, and I had to get a ride because I was 15. So <laughs> <laughs> well, you can smoke but not drive. Yeah. I'll right, well, give you a pack of cigs <laughs> if you give me a ride. 
So uh, I ended up going to the Boston show in my big green cleaning machine uh, uh, jumpsuit. Like a boss. Hey, and it had a giant, and I mean giant, the whole back of my, my whole back was covered with a patch. Big green cleaning machine patch with a logo on it. And the whole so there's thing. no hiding that you're working. No, no. I had Jimbo, a Jimbo patch on the front. Okay. Big green, you know, Texaco on the other side because we were a Texaco station. Sure you were. So I, I, I just, Big I, time. I get out of my buddy's car and I run down to the, what I know to be the backstage entrance to the brand new back then BJCC in Birmingham, Birmingham Jefferson Civic Center. So I go into this, it looked, I'll tell you what reminds me of it. The almost famous scene where the kids trying to get into the backstage area with yeah. the girls. It that, that where I went into the BJCC reminds me of that. It was a door with the guy from Wizard of Oz who'd fly the door open and go, "You're not worthy." Slam. <laughs> and I knocked on the door, and the door opened. And believe me, in my 15-year-old head, was this was the door to paradise. Boston sure. was in there. Yeah. Boston. Was in your in. head, as soon as you walk in, it's a room filled with Boston. Boston and Boston and girls and smoke. And like the a whole... nudist colony, basically. Yeah, sure, a party. So um, the guy that's giant old man who was humongous, huge, business suit, BJCC patch on his what jacket. At 15, he was probably six foot. He was probably a regular granddad, yeah. But um, <laughs> he goes, what are you doing here? And I flash my pass. Oh, Oh, come on in then. It was that easy? I was like, oh, shit. Are you trying to keep your cool? Yeah, you're trying to keep your I'm cool. I'm inside the BJCC in an area where I've never been and shouldn't be. In your head, you were like, they're going to turn me down. With a pass I shouldn't have. Right. And in I'm a walking. a bright green outfit. But what I didn't realize in my 15-year-old head was, wow, where do I go? I don't, yeah. know. I don't know what to do back Not here. You don't know that the backstage is just a trench of hallways it's and a doors. Giant, and it's a place where 18-wheelers are parked, <laughs> tour buses are parked. I don't know where to go until I finally just walk to this area, and anybody who's been backstage know they have, they have signs for the band, so they'll know where to go. Catering this way, dressing rooms that way. And so I saw this Boston logo with an arrow, and I followed it. I just went down the hall to the ball, to the wherever the ball, and then I saw the Boston album cover on a door, and I was like, "That's a power move right there." Well, Boston's in there, Boston's in there. <laughs> Tom Schultz, they're all in there, and I'm out here. I need to get in there to meet them, because you know I've got a backstage pass. Sure, that was my 15-year-old head. About that time, hey, about that time, some dude comes up and he goes. He 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 gets that pass. He starts flipping that. He looks at it. He grabs it with his hand. Just some he, strange guy. Yeah. He goes, "Where'd you get that?" Oh no. Remember, I'm in my big green cleaning machine outfit. Sure. I said, "Well, I mean, I work there." <laughs> that's what my at friend. Fifteen. That's what my friend at the smoking area told me to say. <laughs> just tell him you work there. You'll be fine. Yeah. So I said, "Well, I mean, I work there," and he goes, <laughs> "Hey, Bill, come look at this." He called his buddy over. Hmm. And his buddy came over and he goes, hey, where'd you find that? I said, well, I'm busted. I, in my head, my internal monologue was, well, they're on to me. Right. I'm not going to get any further than this. Did you, you didn't try to hardcore it? Did you panic and bail? Yeah, no, I'm 15. Of course I panicked. <laughs> it's 1977. I don't know. Something. You're smoking. It's all upside down. <laughs> Up is down, left is right now. So he, he snatches it off my collar. Oh, no. 
He goes, that's mine. They ripped your Jimbo patch yeah. almost. What I didn't notice is they had numbers on them. And numbers were assigned to certain employees of the real Rufino Vaughn concert oh, no. outfit. And this number was this guy's number. So he clipped it on his own collar and he goes, what are we going to do with him? And finally, the other guy, the original guy who walked up to me and said, where'd you get this? Goes, I mean, you want to go watch the show, right? And I went, please. <laughs> <laughs> this little tiny Jimbo now. Yeah. Uh, now I'm really tiny 15. Jimbo, please. And he goes, all right, should we let him go watch the show to the, pa- to the guy whose pass it was? And he goes, all right, we'll let him go watch the show. So they ushered me out towards the crowd of backstage. And I'm now I'm out in the crowd. They slam the door, the door to where I can't go yeah. back. And it just dawned on me at this point that I'm alone. I have no ride home and no seat. <laughs> so... I, the best I can remember is I went out and wa- watched Boston from the highest point of the upper level you could possibly be because it was the only place. You just kept going to spaces, and they were like, hey, you don't have yeah, a seat. people would kick me out. And I ended up in a chair up and way in the upper level. But you saw Boston. I saw Boston. Guess what happens? You won. <laughs> I saw Boston for free. Did you go back and tell them we got snatched, like the smoking pit area? What oh, yeah. Happened? Oh, I had to because dude asked me for it Monday and morning. you were a loser. Yeah. You got – you got my pass stolen? I said, mm. what well, wasn't your pass? It was number seven's, whoever number seven <laughs> it was. It was number seven. <laughs> like it's an episode of Stranger Things now. You know <laughs> number seven. At, at, at Refrino Von Productions, number seven took his pass back. All right, so uh, you're in Birmingham. Yeah. You're in radio. And you are crushing radio instantly. Uh, yeah, I mean. Yeah. It was Kicks 106. Yeah, I mean, yeah. First, it was ERC AM, and I quickly faded on that, or they faded on me because I wasn't an AM guy. Back then, AM was totally different. FM was where it was at, 1977 or so, shag rug on the carpet, so the studio, two turntables. You know, it was it was the stereotypical radio studio back then, and that's where I fitted in. And uh, I ended up doing weekends, a midnight to four, uh, midnight to five shift, on weekends while I was in college, and I couldn't have been happier. There's no way I could have been happier. I was doing a radio shift at as a college student, and it was the greatest time of my life. So let's tell some stories. You're uh, you're on a station, and at the time you're doing nights while Mark and Brian is doing mornings. Oh, that's yeah. We're fast forward to the '80s. Yes. Um. So. Yes, I did night. I did on I ninety five. I did night six to ten. Mark and Brian were um, the morning show. Brother John was a midday guy. Yeah, Mark and Brian ended up being syndicated out of California. Mark Los and Brian Angeles. ended up in L A for twenty. That's how big years. they got. Yeah, they got. They were huge. Um, were y'all crushing uh, ratings then? Colossal numbers. Like what numbers? Just ridiculous numbers. So in perspective. What would you say is good ratings right now on radio? The teens, I think you're doing good. Uh, yeah, we. But I had 40s and 50s back then. <laughs> he had a 40 and a 50 share. Yeah, I think we could find an Arbitron book from back then where we, where Mark and Brian were just owning it. <laughs> uh, a 50 share. I think I had no, Which no means- joke. I would average like 30s numbers. 
But it was teens, though. It was kids that listened to me because back then, you got to remember, back then in the 80s, there was no internet, there were no phones, there was no smartphones. It was radio. It was, it was just the radio is all the kids had for homework time. And they would listen to me on their radio at their, in their desk in their room and do homework. So I got all the girlfriend dedications, the boyfriend dedications, yeah, the did. teeny bopper stuff. Because was, I was at night, 6 to 10, when they were in their rooms doing kid stuff, you know, teenager stuff. So um, th- th- there was nobody else to listen to except Tyrone Robinson at um, WENN. Just say it right now. You kicked Tyrone's ass. We kicked each other's ass back and forth. What? We did. We would call each other on the hotline, Tyrone and Yeah, I. when I'm talking about ratings. I mean, I murdered him most of the times. Yeah, I, <laughs> uh, I did kill him a lot. Yeah, no, but great guy, it great guy. Good, it was a no, good radio rivalry. Great, no, yeah, we were friends, and it was it was fantastic. And we went we went against each other every single night from six to ten, and it was uh, the good old days. I mean, I remember great stuff from back then. So uh, we can't, due to legal reasons, get in too much into ratings, but I need I need people to to understand what a forty or fifty share. Now, let's say a normal radio station, just wherever, just in case anybody's listening, we are not talking about us. No. Um, if you if you were number one in a decent market now in 2019, uh, what would you say would be a good rating? Oh, 17. 17 would be probably a monster share in 15 your first to 17%, place. yeah. So just to put that in perspective for everybody that's listening that doesn't know radio ratings. 17, that's a good rating. You're probably number one in your market, and this is 85, and you guys are doing a 40 and a 50. Yeah, which which meant generally <laughs> that um, back then, 40 to 50% of the available audience was listening. That's insane, yeah. It's, so it's now colossal. 17 is, quote-unquote, close to 17% of whatever the, the listing audience. Yeah, but with the, with the distractions, the internet, the other things, right, yeah, 17 yeah. is a huge but, number. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. But just to put – I just wanted everybody that's listening at home that doesn't know radio ratings, yeah. 40 and 50 is literally astronomical make-believe numbers mm-hmm. nowadays. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so you you guys are crushing it. So we're going to bounce around here just some, some of the stories I know. Um, I don't know what year was it, but I love the I love the story about uh, when you had to interview Phil Collins. Oh yeah, well that was at BJCC again. This time I was legally in backstage. <laughs> I actually and had cool a clothes. Yeah, yeah. Um, back in that day, we would go in. Whoever was in concert, we would. I would go because I had I did six to ten, so I had the afternoons free. So I would go to the concert to the venue, whatever venue it was, and find the artist and interview them and put it on the air to sell tickets. Right. You know. The, A last-minute push. The promoter let us do that to sell tickets. So it was Phil Collins this time. So I went to the BJCC. And this so, is at the height of Phil Collins. Yeah, no, this was this was Sissa Studio. This was In the Air Tonight. This was the Mammoth album that he had with all the smashes on it. Uh, Against All Odds. All those, all those huge hits. So uh, I go find my guy back there, and he goes and finds his guy, and all of a sudden here comes Phil Collins, who's, by the way, got all those incredible MTV videos on at the time. I mean, you, you just didn't – I didn't picture Phil Collins walking out of a room as short as he was walking out, tiny as he was, walking towards me. I'm thinking, this guy is a mammoth star. <laughs> And he's coming towards me to do an interview. And I, right. I'll never forget thinking that. 
So he, he came up, and uh, I was doing the interview, and back then there were no cell phones. So I did the interview on a payphone hanging on the wall backstage <laughs> at the BJCC. Had to pay a quarter. To you had call. to use a payphone to call back to the radio had station. To, had to pay a quarter to call. And then hand the receiver back and forth. Yeah, we did. Yeah. So, With Phil Collins. And Phil walks up and he goes, hello, how are you? And I said, uh, Mr. Collins. What he do goes, you say? Phil. Phil. Oh, Phil. I said, Phil, I got to put a quarter in this phone so we can call the radio station. He goes, right, right. Go ahead. Do what you got to do. So I love your Phil Collins. I called Mr. Madison back at the station who did afternoons. Rest in peace, Mr. Madison, one of the greatest jocks I've ever heard in my life. I think um, we need to do a shot at Mr. Madison. Here we go. All right. What's the, no, you got one right there. I have a shot? Yep. Oh, wow, that Thanks just appeared out of nowhere. Ah, uh, Cube. What is this, Cube? It's a crown maple and ginger ale. Mm. Crown, ma- uh, crown apple. Crown apple and ginger ale. Well, it's number one. It's the Canadian it ginger. It's King Ginger. Cube, that was an excellent shot. Uh, if it just magically appeared again, we wouldn't be having. All right, go ahead. <laughs> Phil um, Collins, you're handing him a, a okay, so payphone yeah. receiver back and forth. So I, I proceed to interview Phil Collins with a payphone and a, the old style. What hard hitting questions are you asking, Phil Collins? Uh, what are we going to hear tonight, Phil? <laughs> you know. Uh, it's just a studio. Uh, what can people expect uh, when they come to the show tonight? You know. All the hits, mate. Right. That's pretty much his answer. Well, we're going to have a great time, and uh, everybody will love it. Come on. <laughs> buy your tickets then. You know, tickets at the door. Buy it. Right. Right. <laughs> Hello, pop it. Yeah, right. Right. So. He goes, Hello, pop it. Studio. <laughs> so we're done with the interview. We're almost finished. And he goes, you coming to the show tonight, mate? And I said, no, dude. God, I, he was excited about it, too. I work six that. to ten. I won't be coming to the show. I'm sorry I'm going to have to miss it. Oh, no. No, no. We got to arrange something then. I said, okay. No problem. Phil Collins, everybody. You know, I-95. Mr. Madison, back to you. Blah, blah. Hang the phone up. So, Phil, we're, we're done with the air now. And Phil goes, really, you can't come? I said, no, I, I can't come. i got to get back to the station right now and do production and get ready to go on the air. And he goes, right, then come this way. So right, then. Right. He leads me down the, down the same hallway I got kicked out of Boston, by the way. Sure, now you're big time. Um, Phil Collins is escorting you this time. And now, yeah. And, and we, get, we come to the intersection where I saw Boston's album cover on that door. Remember? Mm-hmm. That was Phil Collins' dressing room. Sure Apparently, that is. was the A dressing room. Sure it so is. So Phil stops me there, and he goes, Stand by, mate. The band's got to come out. We, we're going to do a sound check. Would you like to stay? A cup of tea. Right. I said, well, sure, I'd like to stay. He goes, it'll take about 15 minutes. Have you got that kind of time? Sure. So we walk out from backstage. We walk some, through the same gate I got ushered through Boston and couldn't go back in. Phil Collins takes me through it again and takes me up on the stage. The concert stage, Phil Collins stage. Instruments everywhere. The giant Phil Collins drum set is enormous. And if you ever saw Phil Collins back then, you know, he had an extra drummer. So there was two drum kits on the stage. Uh, computers everywhere. They were new then. Uh, guitar guys were plugging their guitars in. They were about to do a full-blown sound check, and I'm standing by Phil Collins. He goes, right. Uh, 
Are we ready? And he's talking to people I don't even see. He's talking to people at the board, the mixing board, and I'm up here, and I don't, I don't know what's going on. He goes, right, are we ready? Are you ready to test the th- whatever techno babble he said? He you goes, spot of Earl Grey. <laughs> right. He goes, hey, mate, press that button. He's talking to you. Yeah, he's talking to me. So he goes, press that button, and it's just sitting there on the stage, just a button, a random button. And so I pressed it, and it started... The intro to In the Air Tonight. You know that, that oh, weird yeah. drum intro? It started it. So it was like a loop, a track, even back then in the 80s. And then he goes, press it again, mate. I pressed it again, and it stopped. Okay. So it start, stop. So he's, he goes, I can start and stop that wherever, wherever I am on the stage. Okay. I said, all right. Well, that's crazy high tech. Mind blown. Um, and... He played uh, In the Air Tonight, or no, he played uh, Against All Odds, and he played Susudio, and I'm standing right by him on the soundtrack. Killing it. What a memory. It was fantastic. That's strong It was right fantastic, there. and then I, I literally had to leave and get to work. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking, the whole time he's playing Susudio, and I'm five feet from him, I'm going... I got to well, go. go to production for Louie Louie. I got to production for Louie Louie. There's things I got to do at, back at the station. So Love it. That was a great. It was a great. It's a great memory. I'm glad you asked that one. That was a fun one. So you uh, you got. Uh, I'm gonna put you on the spot too. Hmm. You don't even know this is coming. Hmm. So a lot of people when I bring up now that I'm on the radio with Jimbo Wood. If they lived in Alabama around the Birmingham area, and that back then, your stick for I ninety five was gigantic. Mm. I mean, I lived in Gadsden and was sixty miles away and could hear it. Yeah, well, um, uh, yeah, I know what you mean because we we got people from all over the state almost. Uh, and you used to have a I ninety five had one of the greatest, uh, one of the greatest radio promotions ever. What was and that, that? How was, many times can you say I ninety five? See, yeah, yeah. People still people people still talk about it to this day. So you would send in to the radio station your phone number and your name and say you wanted to be in the contest. Well, they would call you at random times. They would just pick a phone number and call it. And as soon as you answered, they would say, how many times can you say I-95 and start the clock? And you had to, right? You had to say how many times you could say I-95. Right. And so... I just remember being a kid, like people would walk around practicing how fast they could say. They would be walking around in school going, I-95, 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 I-95. like, what are you doing, man? They're going to call me, man. They're going to call me and I'm going to rack up them bucks. So they would even call. So what we would do as a kid is we would go to the Gadsden Mall as a teenager and we would – get the phone number for the one end of the mall payphone, and we would go to the other payphone, and all our boys would stay down there. So we would call the payphone number from the other end of the mall and ring and ring until some stranger would pick it up and go, hello, and we go, hey, we're Jimbo Wood from I-95. You got to see how many times you can say I-95 in one minute, go! And you'd see him go, I-95, 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 They're just in the middle of the mall. Yeah. They're just in the middle of the gas mall going, ah, ah, and we go, yeah, you want $257, come pick it up, and hang up. And they'd be like, yeah, you see my And all our friends would just be dying by the water fountain, and 
We'd be on the other end, and we'd come running down, and we're like, did it hit? And I'm like, oh, you crushed him, dude. <laughs> and I was like, the best part is we didn't get to see the ultimate payoff was when they would end up at the radio station going, hey, you called me. I want $257. Yeah. I talked to Jimbo. And then we're like, we don't have your name, man. He called me in the middle of the mile. <laughs> you know, just having that argument. You don't know how many times Judy McDowell, who was our receptionist at the time, <laughs> would pick up the intercom and go, Jimbo, come to the front desk. <laughs> and I'd come to the front desk and she'd go, do you know this guy? I go, no. I, do I know you? Hmm. No, did you call me? I said, no, we don't call people for how many times we go to you in person. Oh. <laughs> Um, well, somebody told me I won $257. <laughs> I said, no, you, you, the way we did, how many times can you say it is we always did it in person with a cassette recorder and we, so we could go back and edit it. And we gave you $10 every time you could say, and we had cash in our pockets, $10 every time you could say I-95 in, in, was it 10, I think it was 10 seconds. And oh, we'd make them go for like a minute. They'd just be, <laughs> well, the real way we did it, we would uh, we would let them do it. We'd have, we'd have a an intern there to count the times because we were busy on the mic and hosting the whole thing. And they'd count the times. We'd hand out the dollars right there on the spot. We had dollars in our pockets to hand out. And I remember the, mo the most money I handed out was $22, or $220, $220. Two twenty in 10 seconds? Dude, dude said it 22 times in 10 seconds. Oh, $10 per time. Yeah, $10 per time. And that was the most I handed out. I don't remember Mark and Brian. I don't remember their record. You gave away like $300 a time at Gadsden Mall, I can tell you that. Right <laughs> All right, so here's what, I, here's what I bring that up for. You, Mark and Brian, we mentioned – Syndicated, they ended up at uh, KLOS in uh, Los Angeles. Right. Had a huge run there. Oh. What you say, 25, 30 years? 25 years, I'm pretty sure. 25 years, which is incredible in the radio world, especially at that level. Yeah. And, um, but when they had their morning show in Birmingham, when I say I'm on the air with Jimbo Wood, people say, oh, yeah. Jimbo Wood used to be Bobby Smiles. Bobby Smiles, yeah. There was a character. That was fun to do. Well, we're going to break... And me and Mark Thompson invented Bobby Smiles, by the way. Um, so, uh, I think for the first time in about, what, 25 years, we should hear some Bobby Smiles. Well, I mean, I used to do it on the phone, literally on the phone. Okay. I, would record, I would record the Bobby Smiles side. Wait, no, I just want you to know nobody in this room... Knows about Bobby Smiles except me and you. Yeah. So if you bust out some Bobby Smiles right now, I don't know if I can anymore. Oh, it it yeah, was it was something I did when I was so young. Oh yeah, you can. Um, but but also part of it was playing it into the phone. Right. You know, it was a phone character. You you were you acted like you were just calling them, like randomly calling. Them. Right. Bobby Smiles was a character who would call in, and he and. Since it was me doing Bobby Smiles, I had to also do my side. So I recorded it, Bobby Smiles parts, all by themselves, and I would just leave holes where I would fill in, where I would actually talk. Okay. 
and it was it was a difficult thing to do back in the day because you had to I, you had to time it out. I had to write out scripts and stuff because you had to I had to know where Bobby ended, where I started, where I ended, and Bobby started, and where Bobby ended and I started. So if there was any ad lib, and it would kind of throw it off. Oh, absolutely no. It so was, now when me and you. Uh, you know, one of my previous podcast episodes is Morning Show Madness, where I played a bunch of our clips, and we do a bunch of characters on our show. None of it is written down. No, no. That's the fun part about it. <laughs> Me and you just play off of each other. Yeah. But back then, you're saying everything had to be planned out. Yeah, because it was only me. Right. I, I had to do Bobby, and I had to do my side. And it was a thing. It was, I had to record it in, on one track. And just leave holes, like I said. And I, I was responsible for filling in those holes and remembering what the hell my side was because I was so concerned with Bobby's side, too. And doing it into the old-style telephone was part of the great feature of that character because the, 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 the air quality of that phone, and back then on the air was different. Processing was different. Phones sounded awesome on the air back then. Right. And today they sound like shit. Yeah, today it was all landlines back then. Let's don't forget there was no cell phones, so every everybody had a landline. Everybody who called was on a landline. It was a quality signal. It was it phones was, are not made for phones nowadays. They're made for everything else. Yeah, no, yeah, phones, it's a computer, yeah. and then you just have an. The last thing attached. they thought of when they built these smartphones is <laughs> let me call somebody. The last thing. So, part of the quality of Bobby Smiles was. That phone and the processing of the radio station. Do I need to hand you a phone? I'm, all we're waiting is for Bobby Smiles to say hello to us right now. Hey, hey, hey! Wait, you got to give me something. You gotta, what would he say after that? Well, Bobby Smiles' signature. <laughs> his si- <laughs> His signature thing was, are y'all videotaping this? No. No. Yeah. So uh, his signature deal was his laugh. That's going to be hard for me to do because that was well, 100% I need you to try fun. It. Huh? You got to try it. I'm going to try. I'm going to try. Oh, God. We'll Last do that after you. Bobby Smiles. Go. Um, <laughs> so his laugh was his signature deal. And I'm going to try to do it. I'm not sure if I can. And the only people who listen to I-95 in Birmingham in the 80s will even know what this is. <laughs> that was it. Wait, wait. What? Hey, but what was Bobby? What was Bobby Smiles talking about when he called in? Like, what would you? What would be the topic? Uh, one time he sneezed into the salad bar. Right. Well, like, give us. I need Bobby Smiles. Give us. Okay, a little, I really can't do come it. Come on, anymore. give us a try. It, it won't even be effective. It won't. It won't. Oh, I promise it'll be. It effective. won't sound like it used to. No, it won't sound like it used to. But I just need. We're hearing the other side of it. Hey, 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 Jim Wood. You're not going to believe what happened today. I sneezed into the salad bar. <laughs> and this lady looked at me like, who are you to sneeze into my salad bar? <laughs> uh, 
I didn't think it would come out like that. The ultimate, the ultimate Jimbo Casio show is going to be when Bobby Smiles meet Pat Patrick, and they go, "Give me a little hey." It'll be a cat fight. Go the go the hey hey you start. Hey 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 guys. <laughs> hey, who the hell are you? I'm Pat Patrick. Well, I'm going to slap your face off. <laughs> <laughs> hey Bob! Hey, hey Bobby! Bobby, did you know? What? Did you know? You better shut up for I slap you. Did you know there's a fish called a slippery dick? <laughs> <laughs> I know, I've seen one. <laughs> they grow to be seven inches long. Have you ever ate one? Yeah. I think they had those on the salad bar. <laughs> Don't you even start. Toodles. Don't you go there. That was Bobby Smiles. Yeah. <laughs> First time in how many? That's had to be 20, at least 20 years. 30 plus. Well, whatever 1984 through 8 was. <laughs> And I did him for Mark in Montgomery, too, Mark Thompson, before he came up and became part of Mark and Brian and then went out to L.A. <clears throat> and there was talk of doing him in L.A., but it was L.A. was a place where you just couldn't do a Bobby Smiles. It was too much. Oh, my gosh. All right. <laughs> I'm going to take a drink. I'm exhausted. <laughs> All right. We're looking good here. All right. We got to get some stories in. <clears throat> All right, we're jumping around here. Jimbo Woods' career, you uh, you dominate Birmingham, and then after Birmingham, you went to when did you live in Memphis? Was that after New Orleans? A guy named Birdman. When I was in Birmingham, a guy named Birdman rest his rest his soul in peace. He uh, he's dead. Went he had <laughs> he had cancer. He was rest a great his peace and soul. I believe he legendary said. radio character in Birmingham and other towns. Anyway, I knew Birdman really well, and he called me up and he goes, you need to be a program director. And I was like, I'm having too much fun doing this. Program director in the radio world means you are running the station. Management. Which yeah. is what you're doing now. Management. And um, he goes, I I've, got a I've got a job for you. You need to program Y102, WHHY in Montgomery. Larry Stevens is the guy. I've already told him about you. Give him a call. So I'm like, wait, I... I don't, I'm not sure I want to be program director. He goes, no, you do. That's where you need to be. Birdman, he was taking over my father role in the radio business. So I called Larry Stevens because I thought I was supposed to. So I went down to Y102 in Montgomery and did about, uh, maybe I was there for six months and realized, nah, I just need to be on the radio. I just want to have fun. And then program went, director is when it gets to real work. Right. So I called my friend um, in Memphis and I said, look, I... I can't do this PD stuff any anymore. I, I need to just be a night guy on the air, the six to ten job that I'd been doing. He goes, well, come on up. We got a station in Memphis where you can do that. So I went up to Memphis um, in 1988. How much or you no, making? 1989. What's How much that? you making? How much was I making? Uh, I like 325 a week, something like that. Big time. I'm talking. I thought so I was a millionaire. So I go to Memphis, and I work for a station called Z98, KMPZ, in Memphis. And that was probably the 
probably one of the greatest experiences of my life because Memphis was so much bigger than Birmingham and had so much more influence and so many more things going on. Graceland. The Peabody Hotel. You're an Elvis fan. Elvis. All of it. And I loved living in Memphis. And I met this girl who worked at a concert promotion company. And so that means I was now associated with all the bands that came to town. And that made my Memphis experience even greater. And everything I did in Memphis, the North End eating what they called mud pie at the time, which was really just chocolate pie, but it was so good. And all the great restaurants. I loved every minute of living in Memphis. Loved it. Do you, this is, we don't want any to talk about it unless hmm. you want to. This is, this is married lady land. Uh, married lady? Yeah. Well, no, but she wasn't married. She worked at the concert company. But I also had another girlfriend Somebody. on the side. Wait, somebody, well, somebody that you worked with had a. Oh, yeah. No, let's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there was. We'll stop there. Yeah, there was a wart. There's a wart on my timeline. A wart? And that's it. What do you mean? Well, I mean, I got called to depositions and stuff. I, mm. It was, it was not pretty. <laughs> I don't know how to transition, but yeah, you ended up good. Yeah, I'm all right. Uh, well, but talk. Speaking of depositions, uh, this used to be a thing back in the day. Uh, talk about the time the lady showed up at the radio station and said uh, that she had your child. Oh yeah. Oh, that happened in the '80s. I love all of our coworkers are sitting here drinking, and they all perked up when I just said that. <laughs> Y'all are about to be introduced to uh, Jimbo's child. No, no, I don't have a child. Let's set the record straight. <laughs> hey, spoiler alert. Well. You're in radio. Learn how to tell a damn story. Sorry. I'm used to talking for 25 seconds and then going back to the commercials. Um, so, yeah. So, sure enough, back to Judy McDowell, who was our receptionist in Birmingham. She goes, Jimbo, call the lobby. So I call the lobby, and she goes, hey, there's a lady out here, and she says she's pregnant with your baby. Oh, no. And I'm like, wait. Jimbo slinging D all over Birmingham. I mean, there was that, but I didn't make anybody. <laughs> I didn't make any babies that I knew of. And so I go out to the lobby, and I'm thinking, you, what, you, what am I about to see? You know, I. <laughs> Who am I about to? A pregnant lady, I, I imagine. Figure, I figure if I'd gotten somebody pregnant, they would have called me first instead of showing up at the station. Mm. So, yeah, this lady showed up at the station. She swears that I'm the father of her baby. Her baby and I said, well, no, I'm, I've never seen you before in my life. And I mean, but you had. I hadn't. I promise you, you I had You Suds and Jasper. Come on. Well, we played softball in Jasper, and she was from Jasper, and she says that I was the father of her baby, which I all I know for a fact, we played a softball game. We went to a bootlegger and bought a six-pack of hot beer. Then you changed the angle on your dangle with some lady. <laughs> <laughs> and, and by the way, we overpaid for a six-pack of Budweiser. $25 for a six-pack. Wait, in what year? 
1987. I mean, it's not 25 now, but still. 87 yeah. you paid $25? Because well, Jasper was a dry county back yeah, then. You sure. couldn't get booze, so we had to go out to the damn dirt road county and buy it from a motor, but mobile home guy. So And it was hot. It wasn't even damn cold. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, trailer park, Terry. So that's all I remember of Jasper. Softball game, meeting people after it, buying a six-pack of hot beer for $25, drinking on the way home. Porking a lady and then heading home. That did not happen. Huh? Um, so back did you give her the old softballs? Hey, hey, hey! Back then, you didn't have DNA. We just had blood tests. Well, you had it. You mean, you didn't I mean, have a DNA? We had it. <laughs> There was no CS. Back in my day, our blood didn't even have DNA. <laughs> so I had to do a blood test, and the radio station hired a lawyer. Wait, wait, how, how did you get so far to a blood test? Well, you radio, jumped a few notches to blood tests. She, no, her lawyers called and said she we She had lawyers? To, yeah. She's wanting money? So I had, oh yeah, that's all she wanted was tuition until this kid not, was 18. It's not mine. That's all she wanted. I said he's not, he or she's not mine. And... um the radio station hired a lawyer, which was nice because I didn't have any money. The lawyer said, you need to go and get a blood test at such and such a place. I don't remember where. And I went and did blood, and thankfully it didn't match, which is all you had back then. There was only blood test matches. And what, I was So, like, what, what's, I mean, what's a blood test match back then? You're, you're type A and they're type A or what? Yeah, exactly. Like, if I'm A positive, they had, the baby's blood had to, or the woman's blood had to be A positive. Well, that's a random Right, but that's all we had back then. Oh no! Yeah, that could have been bad. Yeah, that's you, all. We, you oh, literally no, you dodged a bullet. No, it's a it's a roulette game. Yeah, absolutely. What? There's only what six kind of blood types. So you're one in six. Sure, I'll Google that. Sure. So yeah, Google it. I'm not sure how many, but luckily mine didn't match, so I didn't have to pay tuition until that kid was 18. Jeez, Louise! Right, that was scary. Okay, so I've, I forgot to ask that one. So now we're back in Memphis, and I know, talk about the time you are, uh, you're in Memphis and you're riding down the road and you see Jerry Lawler. Jerry Lawler, yeah. So he lived in Germantown. I mean, he might even still live there. I lived in Germantown. So I was dr- driving to work one. I, actually, I was dating this girl, Sally, who lived on a road in Germantown, and I took a ride off of um, 72, Poplar, I think it was called. And I took it right off of there, and I thought, that dude mowing his grass looked just like Jerry Lawler. <laughs> mowing his grass? If I remember. Jerry mem- the King Lawler, yes, yeah. if you're listening. No, yeah. <laughs> Jerry and, the um, King Lawler. If memory serves, he, he lived at the corner of 72 and, or Poplar and this road that Sally lived on. If memory serves, I could be wrong. But anyway, I took that right, and there was dude mowing his grass, and I thought, well, that looks like damn Jerry Lawler. I've got to talk to Jerry Lawler. I didn't know he lived. This here. is late eighties. Um, yeah, this was this. So would the be king 80, is the king. This would be eighty-eight. So he's on top of the world. Oh yeah, no, he's yeah, he's there. He was everything, and I loved wrestling back then. And he, I stopped. I pulled my car over, and I and I walked up to him, and he he looked at me like, <laughs> "What's happening now?" He pulled in his driveway. Yeah, I was a kid though, so I didn't look threatening or anything. I didn't look like I was murdering him or something. Eighty-nine. You're what? Uh. I was 27. Mid 20s? Yeah, 27 or so. So I I walked through his, I remember walking in his driveway. He stopped his lawnmower. He walked over (laughs) to me, covered in sweat because it's hot, Memphis day. Let's be honest. Pushing lawnmower? Yeah, no, sure. Pushing. No riding? No. He was pushing it. 
king needs a ride. So I he's said, a man. I said, you got to be Jerry the King Lawler. And he goes, well, yeah. What can I do for you? I said, oh, there's nothing. I just wanted to stop and say <laughs> hi. I said, I live here too. I live right over here in Germantown at this uh, the Germantown apartment. I was going to impress him. I know. I live here. I live here in apartment. We're going to be friends. I'm going to wear your face as a mask later. 1335 <laughs> Volleyball Lane, Jerry, if you want to come over for beers later. So that was that's it. He goes, well, yeah, I mean, I'm in the middle of cutting the grass. And I said, well, no, get back to it. I just wanted to stay. <laughs> get back to it. Like you're his boss. Yeah, yeah, take care of that. <laughs> But every time I drove by there, which was every day, I would just sort of give him a, hey, Jerry, what's going on, Ken? Like our boys? Yeah, like we were buddies because I'd made contact. In your head, y'all were still boys. It was like Jody Foster. I'd made first contact. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was Jody Foster was going to interview you after you wore his face as a costume. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was probably, in retrospect, probably not the smartest thing to do. <laughs> You just pull over and I say, I wish hey, you just would have straight up DDT'd your ass right there in the lawn and then rolled you out and kept going. In his front yard, right on his fresh cut grass. Okay, was Memphis when you were at the uh, you at the bar and a uh, a very special person bought you a drink? Oh, yeah. So, yeah, Peabody Hotel, the heart of downtown Memphis. Our radio station was a block up towards the river from the Peabody, and we'd walk down, routinely walk down. After I got off at 10, I'd walk down and have drinks at the Peabody lobby. So this particular day, a record person was in. Record people are reps, kind of like pharmaceutical reps. Record people work for the record company, and they're the liaison between the radio station and whatever record they're pushing. So this lady was in town to push a particular record. I don't remember which one, and I sadly can't remember her name. Might have been Joanne, but I'm not 100% sure. Anyway, she came to town. She goes, let's go to the Peabody. Let's have drinks, and uh, we'll talk about the record. So we did. Went to the Peabody and had drinks. And the Peabody, if you've ever been, has an open lobby, so you can see the second floor when you look up. And um, the second floor is the meeting rooms, the party, you know, the banquet rooms. So somebody had rented out one of the banquet rooms up in the second floor for a wedding reception. And it turned out to be super fancy people. And John F. Kennedy Jr. was one of their wedding party. So these people were New York City. And, they, and the, I think the wife, the bride, was from Memphis, but the husband was from... New York. So anyway, this guy, uh, the husband obviously had fancy friends, and John F. Kennedy Jr. in the 80s was not the John F. Kennedy Jr. he became with that magazine he did back later. Penthouse. What was George, yeah. Oh, wrong. He did George. So anyway, <laughs> he... <laughs> Penthouse. Just keeping you on your toes, folks. <laughs> Am I boring? Am I, do I no. do, need to add flash to these stories? No. Um, so, uh, you've got Leanne over here going, <sighs> my memory is looking up and John F. Kennedy Jr., who I barely recognized, but you know, you knew his name. He was leaning over the balcony of that second floor talking to the lady I was with, the record rep. They were buds from New York. So she goes, well, come down. She motioned him, come down. So he gets on the elevator and he comes down. To, uh, to our table and we're in the 
in the grand lobby of the Peabody, where the ducks are in the fountain and the whole production goes on at the Peabody. Of course, it's a bar, too, and we're having drinks. And John F. Kennedy Jr. and this lady, my record rep, were buds. They were hugging it up. And, you know, she goes, this is my friend Jimbo. He works for Z98. Um, meet him. Meet Jimbo. The Jimbo, J John Jr. I was like, hey, hey, John Jr. I mean, your dad was pretty famous, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Dad was pretty famous. We choose to do these things in this decade not because they're easy, but because they are hard. That's my one of my favorite speeches here. Oh yeah, strong. And here's his son, you know, and he's he goes, Jimbo, man, nice to meet you. What radio station is it? I go Z98. He goes, Yeah, okay. What are you guys drinking? And uh, she says whatever she's drinking, and I said, I'm just having a Bud Light. And he goes, ah, oh, be back in a minute. He went to the bar himself like a regular person, bought us drinks with money, came back to the table and handed them to us. And then he goes, I got to get back. We're about to go out and do the, the drive away thing. They'd done their business upstairs with the reception, and the couple was going to drive away. And my, I'll never forget it. The, all of them come down at one time, the bride, the husband, the parties, the groomsmen, the bridesmaids, they all parade outside, and all of the groomsmen got in the bed of a pickup truck in front of the Peabody. John F. Kennedy Jr. with them, in the bed of a pickup truck. This is John F. Kennedy Jr. <laughs> he could fall out. You know what I mean? He's important. He could fall out! He's a, <laughs> his dad was kind of an important president. And he jumped up in the pickup truck with him, and the, it had the whole uh, beer can strings attached to it, the whole bridal wedding party thing. And they drove off, and she goes, man, he's such a great guy buying the spears. Anyway, let's go back in. And I'm like, wow, it's pretty cool. John F. Kennedy Jr. bought me a Bud Light. Come on, cheers to that. Uh -huh. huh? Now it's time for a shot. Shot to, shot to John Jr. Shot to John Jr. Well, who, what ghost keeps putting these shots here? Cube. Damn you. Cube. Come on, here's the JFK. This JF needs to be the. Here's the JFK Jr. right here. Okay, that was an awkward silence on the podcast. You can edit. Anyway. I'm going to leave it in for That was a pretty cool time. Also in the lobby of the Peabody, Chicago came. We Chicago was there and. The we, whole city? No, the band. Okay. Sorry, the band. They'd done a show, and we hosted the show, so we all... <laughs> back then, there was no band security like that. By the way, if Chicago walked in this living room, I wouldn't recognize him right now. Yeah, you would. Because oh, I'd know him, and I'd introduce you. <laughs> By the Watch way, your toes. He's name-dropping over here. If you Put an umbrella out. Um, if you want to go to a party concert, go to a Chicago show. You'll know every song, and you'll be dancing. Every house. burnout uncle in America is going to be there now. <laughs> Um, anyway, so <laughs> Chicago does a show. We do a thing backstage meet and greet with listeners. Then we all parade over to the Peabody lobby. I'm telling you, that's where everything happened in Memphis. We're sitting at the Peabody lobby and Walt Perizader, the one of the, uh, I believe he's a, a uh, yeah. what's this one? Uh, jerk off. No, no. What, what are, are you, you doing? doing? Wah, 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 wah. Trombone. Trombone. Trombone player. <laughs> Walt Perizader goes. Thanks, Judy. I mean, well, that's exactly how I do it right there. Just a <laughs> you got a long one. Hey, <laughs> 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 So 
So Walt Perizzetto goes, I never forget a face. I'll always know you from this. From this. Wait, he's and he's the trombone player for Chicago. Right. And he tells you to your face, I never forget a face. Well, we're with people. Yeah, all of us. He tells that to all of us, not just me. <laughs> I thought he was like, look at you going, I never forget a no, face, no. son. No, I he's didn't like, want That him. was creepy. No, no. Now he's got your face as a lampshade. <laughs> all right. He goes, I have a photographic <laughs> memory. I'll never forget your face. So uh, I'll never forget. I'll always know who you are. So no. I go, there's no way. Yeah. There's no way. I'm with you. Shit on that. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Go take a poop with your pants on. <laughs> so he goes, what, what, what can you, what stupid human tricks can you do? To I'll, you? I'll always remember them. To all of us. And mm -hmm. I, back then, had this thing I do with my shoulder blades where I would flip them out and I would call it a woman jogging. I could make them bounce. Okay. You've had shoulder surgery. Does that mess up the woman jogging? I don't know. I haven't tried. Pause it. Like, yeah. Yeah, I get up and do it. Yeah, put Hang the on. mic down. We're going to show. We're going to show. <laughs> wait, wait. You got to turn around. Can you got to turn around. Can I still hey, do it? sit on that. Yeah, yeah. Sit on that chair so the whole party can see. He's going <laughs> to. No, wait, turn around. Like, straddle it. Straddle the chair. This? No, no. The other way. Can you do it that like that? Probably yeah. This is a woman jogging. <laughs> Well, see, you did that in the middle of the bar. Yeah. <laughs> so Walt, you're in the. This is the Peabody again. Yeah. So Walt goes, I'll never forget that. <laughs> we will never forget that if either. You, if you do it for me, if you ever see me again and you do that, I'll always remember you. I met you at the Peabody lobby, and I'm like, okay, whatever. Literally, fast forward till the early 2000s. What what year was that? 1989. All this happened in 89 tonight. You better stop it. I see where this is going. You better stop it. Fast forward. Early 2000s, I'm with Mark and Brian. Mark Thompson, good friend. I went out to visit him a lot. Mark takes me to the Mark and Brian uh, morning show concert. They had a morning show Christmas show where they broadcast on their show from 6 to 10 a.m. They had a full-blown concert yeah. with bands, real bands, and um, big name bands. Whitesnake was the headliner then. And Betty Davis read "Twas the Night Before Christmas." Whoa. So, Mark goes before did she the show. Betty Davis eyes. Did I say Betty Davis? I mean Betty. You did say Betty Davis. Who's the one that's still alive? That's three hundred years old. Betty White. Betty White. Three hundred years old. <laughs> Betty White. She got Betty. She didn't have Betty Davis eyes. She had Betty White. Betty White. Face. They always had a big star read "Twas the Night Before Christmas," and they had a huge band. So before the show started, Mark goes, "Would right. you?" By the way, would you? Sure. Oh. <laughs> yeah. On principle, right? Just bring some Vaseline. It's wood pipe. Good. Wood pipe. Huh? Would you pipe Betty White? Sure. <laughs> Why not? Why are you bringing Vaseline? Because it's dry. <laughs> what is it? This took a turn. Is it 97? You know what I mean. <laughs> 300. 300 years old. So, <laughs> before the show starts, Mark goes, Jimbo, you're in charge of the kids. Linda's going to do the t-shirts or whatever she's going to do, and I got to go do my thing. So, I said, all right. So, I took the, so Matthew was Mark's son. You're so, back there getting some blood flowing, waiting for Betty White to come out <laughs> is what you're doing. 
Matthew wants to go see Chicago. They're they're playing the show. Who's so, Matthew? Mark's son. Okay. So this I was is at, laughing. I've lost part of this story. This is at the that last shot hit good. Pantages in L in L A. Is that a theater in L.A.? Pantages? Yeah. Okay, so this shows at the Pantages. Is that the one where you have to go on a staircase downstairs to I backstage? I mean, I could bullshit and say, yeah, okay, but I whatever. don't remember. Yeah. We went downstairs to backstage where all the dressing rooms were, and Matthew <laughs> goes, Matthew beelines straight to Chicago's dressing room. This is 2001. Uh, Matthew bolts in their dressing room. They're like, who the fuck is this? Has he got a big ring leaning machine cover all on or no, what? No. He's just acting like he owns the place. He's Mark's son with a full access backstage pass on. Right. He can go anywhere he wants. What we call in the business a God pass. So Matthew bolts in, and I'm like just his escort. I have no pass whatsoever. And Matthew walks in, and he goes, hey, guys. And they all were high-fiving him. They knew him. Matthew, what's going on, buddy? Because so, he sees them every time they come down. Yeah, way. he's okay. Yeah. And That's how big Mark and Brian are. Mark were huge. They were huge. So I think, wait, Walt Perizader said he would remember me. From 1988, this, this is, is 2001. Huge moment right now. So I, 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 I went over to Walt Perizader and I said, you once told me you have a photographic memory. Mm. And he strikes a pose and goes, wait, what? I said, yeah, you said to me in the lobby of the Peabody Hotel, this is absolutely true. You said to me in the lobby of the Peabody Hotel in 1989 that you recognize a face, you have a photographic memory. And he goes, yeah, I used to say that. I'm older now. I said, well, watch this. So I sat down and did my shoulder blades. And he goes, Jimbo from Memphis. Bullshit. I swear to God. You did the lady jogging again? Yes, I did it. I said, you said you remember stupid human tricks. He goes, yeah. He started getting kind of interested at this time. And I did my shoulder blades, and he goes, oh, my God, Jimbo from the Peabody Lobby. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I think now, and I hadn't, that's, 19, that's 2001. If I saw him now and did it, I'm not sure he'd remember because he's, you know, 300, like <laughs> Betty White. Is he still with us? Uh, yeah, he's still with us. Still you need blowing some Vaseline to show him that trick. <laughs> but I thought that was a neat. I thought I've always been fascinated with that my whole life. Yeah. 1989 to 2001, he remembered. That's pretty strong yeah, right there. That was super cool. Uh, so after Memphis, you go to New Orleans. Uh, When's New Orleans? New Orleans was first. From Birmingham, I went to New Orleans. That okay, my, so you're in New Orleans. Yeah. So we got two stories I want to hit in New Orleans. Yeah. Two stories, and then we'll hit, when was San Jose? After Memphis? After Memphis, yep. All right, so let's go New Orleans for to keep the timeline straight. New Orleans won. Uh, let's talk about uh, the bar and the football player. Oh, yeah. Uh, I used to live in an apartment building that I Googled recently and is now leveled. It's a parking lot. Oh, it's lot. gone. It's literally a parking lot, which made me sad because I love that apartment building. Um uh, it was my first apartment I ever owned by myself after I went after I graduated college. So that's always a special place. You, I mean, I made thirteen thousand five hundred dollars a year in New Orleans, <laughs> and I thought I was a millionaire. <laughs> I'm serious. And I bought this. You I got, moved there for that. They told you that's how much you're going to make. Correct. Like, Packing up. See you later. I was gone from seven dollars an hour. I'm in. <laughs> so I moved in a studio apartment. 
the worst apartment ever, if you're grown up like me and walked in it, you'd go, well, no, my kid's not living here. But that's all I had to choose from money-wise. And you loved it. I loved it. I loved the building. I loved everything about Where it. Where was it? Uh, on uh, Louisiana Street. Let's see. St. Charles and Louisiana. The cross street between St. Charles and Louisiana. Uptown, they called it. Um, right across from a, a store called Shregman's, which mystified me because it was a drugstore and it had liquor. Okay. I was like, what's happening here? Well, we call that a Walgreens today. But well, yeah. They, yeah. Back then. <laughs> we didn't Back have, then, though, that was a huge deal. We didn't have those in Birmingham. Right. Well, so, New Orleans, you can get liquor in the in the church. Yeah, probably. Yeah, that, yeah. Anyway, so St. Charles in Louisiana. So um, I, I lived in that building, and um, right down the street was a bar called Quesara. And I don't know if it's there yet or not, but it was on St. Charles, right on St. Charles, right off the streetcar line, Quesara. So we'd go there. I had friends in from out of town. People came in because the World's Fair was there that year. People would come in to go to the World's Fair and Bourbon Street and hit the tourist spots and whatever. So people were in. So I said, well, let's go to Quesara. They do four for one happy hour on Sundays. Four? Yeah, you heard it. Not two for one. Yeah. Not three for one. They did. Four... For one. So whatever you bought, you paid the price for one and got four of. In one glass. Four in one. one glass. Correct. Oh, which is really dangerous. Right. Like so now they're like, of I'm gonna bring you four in a row. Now it's like, nah, we're gonna mix them together. No, no. No, there were no flights back then. Now it was, back <laughs> then it was a glass with four shots of bourbon and a little whisper of water. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. For brunch it was a on teardrop Sunday. is what it was, because yeah. you were about to die. So we go in and we're, you know, doing our thing, having a good time. And I'll look across. And back then we called the Saints the Aints. The New Orleans Saints were they called were really the Aints. really bad back then. They were yeah. awful back then. Uh, this is late 80s? This is 89. Yeah, this is 80. Okay. Let's see. This is 88. This is before Memphis. So, no, this is, this is 84. Ooh. Yeah, we backtracked the timeline. This is right after yeah. college, 1984. Yeah. So, um, we go to the bar and we do the thing four for one. And I look across and I go, is that Kenny Stabler? <laughs> and Kenny Stabler, legendary Alabama quarterback yeah. was also, was at this time the saints quarterback. Okay. But he wasn't, he was like, he wasn't the starter. He, he was the backup. He was for an the, older guy for the Yanks. Yeah. He was an older guy for the Yanks. And so obviously he didn't Mistake. feel like, he didn't feel it pressing to go to the locker room with the rest of this the is, team. Wait, this you is Sunday on game day. I was about to say, you got to preface, this is game day. This is Sunday on game day, and Kenny Stabler's over there drinking four for ones at Quesara. <laughs> Did he just stay for one round? Oh, no. <laughs> no, he had, a, he had a couple. He had a few four for ones? Yeah. And there weren't Smoking, any, probably? Oh, yeah. Oh, sure. All yeah. of it. And um, I'm like... Is he holding court, or is he like in the corner? No, what? he's by himself. Nobody cares. Nobody talked to him? No, it was the Aints. They didn't know. He wasn't a superstar anymore. He wasn't. Oh, I think poor that was snake. Close to the end of his football career. Um, and so he uh, goes off and plays whatever kind of game he plays, which I'm sure he just sat on the sideline, shithoused. <laughs> <laughs> Hoping they don't call on him to go in and make a play. <laughs> well, there's that famous, I wish I could remember who it was now, but there's a, he was for the Kansas City Chiefs. He was their quarterback, I believe. I'm going to get it wrong. But it's a, it's definitely a, famous player for the Kansas City Chiefs back then in the late 70s, early 80s. 
And they have a picture of him literally in the locker room at halftime and he's smoking a cigarette. And you're like, that would <laughs> never fly now. But And now Kenny Stabler's doing four for ones. I remember, yeah, I remember once um, when uh, John Madden was the coach of the Oakland Raiders. And I remember as a kid seeing, seeing it might have been Bolitnikoff or somebody, one of those legendary linemen smoking a cigarette sitting on the bench, back when it was just a bench on the sideline. Oh, on the sideline yeah. smoking. Yeah, but it was when I was a kid. I was a tiny right, kid. You were smoking in high school. That's fine. <laughs> We've established that. So, uh, do i got I got to ask, since we're in New Orleans, uh, are we going to talk about your neighbors in New Orleans? Oh, in the apartment building? Yeah. Hmm. Um, hmm. So I met, I was, I was washing clothes. There was a laundromat in the basement. Actually, it was right across from my apartment. And I was in the laundromat doing laundry. Mm-hmm. I say laundromat, it was like three washers and two dryers, you know, in the building. That was a perk for your... Oh, it was, well, you had to pay for it. It was, <laughs> right. coin, it was coin operated. That was your perk. You didn't have to leave the building. Correct. So I'm doing laundry. This girl comes in, Karen. She, her name's Karen. She goes, hey, have you got, is there a dryer open? I said, Joseph, that dryer's open. She goes, okay. Um, hey, um, we've seen you around. My boyfriend's David, and we live on the top floor. You would come up anytime you want. You want to come up for dinner? I said, well, sure. You know, I'm t- just out of college, 23 years old or whatever. Right. Anybody who's making dinner, I'm in. Free meal for you is all you thought. Yeah. So I go upstairs, and it's, it's sure enough, it's the, like the penthouse apartment in this crappy apartment building, and it's David and Karen, and uh, she makes a great dinner, and at the end of the dinner, David gets out a shoebox. He reaches up in his uh, closet and gets a shoebox, and in the shoebox were probably a thousand little mini vials of cocaine, <laughs> little... You know the ones where you'd whip out the spoon that was on the other on the it no. was on the top. No, I don't. Okay, well, back in the no, day, I miss that day and age. Those of those people who did cocaine know what I'm talking about. Um, there was a little <laughs> glass vial, and the top of it had a whip out spoon, so you could just unscrew it, whip out the spoon, and do your bump wherever so you we wanted. Had, we had mechanisms for cocaine back then. Yes, we did. We had because wh- you were already smoking in high school. <laughs> Now we've created contraptions to easily do our cocaine. Back then, you could do. You were doing cocaine in clubs, so you didn't have time to lay down a line. You just wanted to do a bump and get back on the dance floor. <laughs> right. Who wants to miss the 10-minute version of a disco song? <laughs> I need to get my mini spoon. <laughs> yeah! So, Apache, jump on it! <laughs> so, David uh, goes, wait. Take many as easy as you want to. I'm like, okay, because I didn't know how, co- how much cocaine <laughs> okay. costs. Wait, so you've never done cocaine? No, I didn't know how much it costs. I didn't know really what it was. So back then, your favorite race car driver wasn't Casey Cocaine? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he was born yet. Okay. Um, anyway, I took a handful, put them in my what, pocket. A hand, oh, oh, I thought you were about to say you. No, no. Of, you uh, these, sniffed. <laughs> I took these. a handful of cocaine. I took a handful of these vials and put them in my pocket. And, you know, today I realized that was probably $1,000 worth of cocaine. And he didn't I, care? No. Take what you need. Blah, blah, blah. So, How many bumps is in one vial? Uh, I think each, each of the, his bottles were half a gram. I don't, sure. What is that? I don't know. It was a thimble? Plenty of a night's worth of a party. <laughs> <laughs> we're not having any issues. No. Okay. So, um, 
fast forward to one day when I'm off, and uh, back then, the Playboy Channel, if anybody's old enough to remember the Playboy Channel, it was brand new in cable. Cable was new, and Playboy Channel had a channel. So I bought it. For of my course part. you did. I was making thirteen five a year. <laughs> he couldn't tell you shit. You can shut up right now. How <laughs> about all the porn channels I want? Give me the damn Playboy channel. How so, much was it? I don't remember. I, probably you know thirty five dollars or Ridiculous. some crazy money. So I bought it, and uh, nobody else in the building had it. So I hear. <laughs> The I, fact that you know that kind of well, impresses me. Well, but go Karen ahead. told me because she came and knocked on the door one night. And you got Karen Playboy from upstairs, on. her boyfriend. Cocaine is lady. David. Yeah. So Karen, Cocaine comes, Karen. Karen tells me she comes in, she knocks on the door and comes in. Hey, can I come in? Sure. So she tells me she's a hair uh, dresser. Heroin dealer. What's that? She said heroin dealer. No, no, hairdresser. Oh, okay, okay. Hairdresser. <laughs> So she tells me it's a hairdresser, and she's got a friend. Could she come in, too? And I said, well, sure. What, what are y'all doing? They just want to come to your apartment? Yeah. I said, where's David? Ah, oh, he's working, which means selling drugs on the streets in New Orleans. So <laughs> um, He's got more vials than you knew about. Correct. Yeah. Um, so they come in. Hairdresser ladies, 1989. Okay. They see the Playboy Channel on TV, Karen. Because you had it. Wait, wait. That means you had it on the Playboy Channel. I did. Sure. I was a 24-year-old dude. Anytime a Playboy Channel was available, I was in. <laughs> so it was available in my house 24-7. Yeah, sure. Which meant it got used. <laughs> so. Which is why you've got Vaseline for Betty White. All right, here we go. <laughs> so they come in. And I'm on the sofa, and they're sitting on the bed because, remember, it was a studio apartment. My, oh, okay. my uh, uh, what do you call a single bed? A twin bed. Was, Tell me you had one of those that went up into the wall. No, no, I, I wish. I needed one of those. It was sitting right there, the twin bed, and I was on the sofa. I'm on the sofa. The ladies are on the twin bed. And do you got vials? She brought vials, yeah. Sure, she Everywhere did. they went. You drinking? What do you got? Uh, maybe I was having beer. I can't remember. So... Uh, the ladies start noticing the Playboy channel. Mm -hmm. And they're like, what, what? I've never seen this. Karen goes, I've never seen that. I'm like, I've yeah. never seen that. That's the Playboy channel. That's the Playboy channel. I'm boasting. because You I'm are proud I'm 24. Of it. I'm Playboy channel. You paid for it. Did you tell them you paid for it? Yeah, sure. So they, uh, before I knew it, it might have been, I don't know, a couple, 10, 15 awkward minutes. <laughs> Of watching the Playboy channel with two girls on the bed. I'm on the sofa. They start kissing. Yeah, they do. Yeah. Big <laughs> What? And I'm like, oh, 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 my God. Well, I'm watching girls kiss on the Playboy channel and in my apartment. So they're, they're mimicking the channel. Right? Uh-huh. And it's clearly turning them on. How do you know? Because Karen, at that point, said, can you move that coffee table? Move the coffee table? I'm like, what? what? Excuse me? She goes, hey, we want to get down there on the floor in front of the Playboy. Do you table. have a nice rug like this one? No. I had a $295 apartment rug, you know. <laughs> 
which uh, was there from the other person that had the department before who you. threw up on it. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, I can move the table, and I'm like, I've never seen this before in person, and they go down on the floor, and yeah, yeah. well, yeah, yeah, begin to yeah take each other's clothes off. Okay, I'm still on the sofa. Go on. They got to such a heated point where I didn't feel like I needed to bother them. I could just take care of my business where I sat. You didn't dive in? Well, no. I didn't. I was 24. I'm brand new to this whole... You're a wrestling fan. You know what a hot tag is, right? Get in there, son. We're I, waiting on it. I was brand new to this whole sex game. Brand new. Says the guy who had the Playboy channel. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, I thought I knew what was going on in the world until I saw what was going on on the floor in my apartment. <laughs> Santa Claus ain't real to you sitting in his lap, okay? <laughs> <laughs> so, they're busy down there. I mean. They're busy. They were just what's happening, Jimbo? Scissors and <laughs> it's an arts and craft show in I your living just, room. They're flashing things I've never seen and doing stuff I didn't <laughs> understand. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> what are you to, doing? Like I'm up there just uh, <laughs> going, what what's happening on my floor? It's wildly turning me on, but I'm not sure what to do. So, they come to a stopping point. Wait, what's a stopping point? Well, apparently the ladies do so much that they can come to a stopping point and then get restarted. Ah, you know, 24-year-old guys don't have that. So, what do you, I, I'm confused. Karen goes... I'm not 24. Karen points at me and she oh. goes, hey, gives me the come air finger. Okay. Down on the floor. Sure. Now I'm like, ooh. <laughs> Wait, I can get in on that? That's not just happening on the floor. That's part of my life, too. Sure. And uh, <laughs> That's part of my life. You know. So, I got down on the floor with them. And my part was finished in about 40 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> if that long. I didn't have a stopwatch. I'm certain it wasn't impressive. Did you, uh, did you start with Karen or the, the friend? Uh, Karen. Yeah, because you knew her. I remember saying, what would Buck think? What was that? Was that? that was David's nickname. What, what, what would <laughs> I was Buck about think? to say, what? I was so confused. Yeah. What would Buck think? Yeah, what was her boyfriend upstairs with the cocaine? Yeah. I would say, what was Buck? What so would, that was the opposite of what would Jesus do. It was what would Buck think at well, this point. After what would Buck? after I said what would Buck think, I was finished. <laughs> I got, I Wait, got back I mean, up on the couch. A good finish or a... What would both think? Um, oh, no, I was finished. It wasn't the prices right, sad, Trimble. I finished strong. I finished strong. Yeah. I was 24. Are you sure you don't have a kid? <laughs> <laughs> this is when she showed up at the New Orleans radio station and said, we need a blood test. I hope you ain't A positive, brother. You're going on with some tuition payments. <laughs> At one point, y'all don't know me as player, player, but back then I was what? player, player. All right, so what? So you, quote unquote, finished strong, which I highly doubt, but uh, <laughs> your part of the play is over. You exit stage right or what? Back to the sofa. Back to my spot on the sofa. 
So you just got down on the floor, finished ha- your business. Look, I didn't have anything else to give. I was intimidated by the whole thing. <laughs> I didn't have anything else to give. I gave what I could. You're 24, man. Well, it's like a tithing at church. You give what you can. <laughs> I don't think. You know. Yeah, but you're 24. You're supposed to be ready to go. I, but I was confused by this whole business that was happening on my floor. Just so did they even know you joined the party? I don't think so. You I'm, just jumped in and was out, and they just kept doing their thing? I jumped in and did a little bit of something-something, and then I was... I was out. Just give me a beer. I don't know what to do. They're busy. Did so they busy. just keep going? They had projects. They had things going on. <laughs> they were building Lego models down there. I don't know what they were doing. <laughs> I, don't... <laughs> uh, I don't know what they were doing. How did that? How does that night wrap up? I mean, like, what happens? Um, I they was, finish. Well, I'm back on the sofa. They they finally get wrapped up with what they were doing. Finally, put, put their clothes back on. I mean, they went for a solid hour. Wait, after your part? The whole, their whole cumulative part was about an hour. Okay. So uh, Karen goes, hey, well, okay, well, um, come up for dinner Tuesday night. You know, I'm cooking dinner again. I'm like, all right. So it was an awkward leave. And then I asked her, the other girls, I asked, I said, Karen, what, what's your friend's phone number? I need a haircut. <laughs> Remember, they were haircut. They were barber. They were <laughs> hair people. So, uh, I need a yeah, she's I've, like, yeah, right. I ended up going to her. I don't remember her name. I wanted to go, went up going to her place for haircuts from then on. And, and, and well, uh, did you ever, you, you never brought it up again? No, it was never spoken of again. What about Karen and Buck? Did you go I, to dinner Tuesday? Yeah. Buck wasn't aware. You ate his food and he didn't know you piped his wife. Wasn't his wife, girlfriend. Oh, okay. Yeah. But so, you, you played dumb and dumber there. Well, yeah, I, did, I didn't know really what to do. I was 24. So uh, How old was Buck? Uh, probably 30. <laughs> so he was the old man in the game. He, was, right, he was street smart. Buck was street <laughs> he smart. He was street smart. Yeah, Buck, you know, he, he, he knew what was going on. <laughs> Except for what happened with me and Karen for that 40 seconds. I, bet he, I bet he knew. You think? You think she told him? All right, right. We got one, two, three, four, five, six, six other people in the room. Raise your hand if you think Buck knew. He lives in New Orleans. He lives in New Orleans, says Big Booty Judy, Jack Spade. Judy said everybody knows. Shea Fox, Cube. No, Leanne's no, Colton's no. I think he knew, but he didn't care. He knew, but he didn't care. Yeah, that's what I mean. I think he knew, but he didn't. That's what I think you're on something. I think Jack Spade's on to it. But you're saying hard no. Shay, what'd hard you no. think? Shay's confused by this whole I thing. I personally don't think he ever knew. I mean, but you're not going to walk into the cocaine dealer's house and be like, uh, yeah, fuck. Right. Yeah. No, no, no. You did the right move by not bringing it up at dinner. I'll give you that. <laughs> What's that? Mm. Okay. So my wife just said, if you lived in New Orleans, you'd know that was a culture. And now I'm thinking... My wife lived in New Orleans, so uh, <laughs> y'all have something to talk the, the, about. After now we the get podcast finished. is going to end awkwardly. Um, <laughs> all right, so real quick, just a couple quick things. So we—that's your—that's your. I knew that was New Orleans stories. Yep. Uh, you go. That's when you went to Memphis. We've talked about it. Yep. Then from Memphis, you go to San Jose. Right. And in San Jose, 
Uh, you guys had an interesting incident happen to you and Rob Harder, your morning show host. The earthquake? Uh, what? Again. Is that what you're talking about? Do you about? know how to tell damn stories? <laughs> <laughs> it's set up punch, not punch and then set up. I just wanted to make sure what you were talking about. You had an interesting thing happen to you <laughs> on the way to a baseball game. So, yeah. So, we were in Rob's car. Rob Harder was – we were morning show back then. Rob was my morning show co-host. And Rob's car was a piece of shit. I'll be honest. <laughs> and – um. So we're driving, we're actually, we're going to the bank to deposit our first paychecks. And, and how big time do you think you are? Because you're doing mornings in San Jose. Oh, my God. We're, we're doing mornings in a top 10 market, under age 30. How much money? $60,000 each. Okay. Most money I've ever made in my whole life. So, By the um, way, we're behind San Jose. Yeah. No, We yeah. need to talk. That's correct. So um, we're on the way to the bank to put this check in, and we're in Rob's car. I'm in the passenger seat. He's driving, and the car lunges. Boom! It lunges literally left to right. I'm like, dude, you just lost a tire. He you goes, know you're yeah. in a piece of shit car when you just assume a tire fell off. He goes, yeah. I, I mean, I'm not surprised. <laughs> and the driver says, yeah. He goes, I thought it was gonna. I thought it was gonna pop on the way here because he and his dad. <laughs> he knew this was that thing. He and his dad had driven across country um, uh, in this car to California from Memphis. So he thought, I, he said, yeah, it's about time for it to die. So uh, about that time, boom, again. I said, dude, have you lost two tires? He goes, I, I'm not surprised. Piece of shit car. <laughs> yeah. And um, about that time, we saw the pickup truck in front of us stop, and a lady was thrown out of her driver's door onto the ground i'm like what's happening what is this turns out it was the 1989 earthquake 7.4 i think it was seven something like that um they called it the san francisco earthquake but it was actually epicentered in gilroy i've never been in an earthquake but the whole world was literally sh it it looked like if you, i was holding one end of a towel and you were holding the other and we shook it and that roll that happens, yeah, that's what the earth was doing. The and actual you, crust of the earth. But you guys were on the way to a World Series game for a radio promotion, Well, we right? were on the way to watch it. It was game four that night. Right. We were on the way to watch it. We weren't on the way to the game. Um, we were on the way to put our, banks, our, ch our uh, checks in the bank and then watch the game at a bar. So, obviously, that was all over as soon as the earthquake hit. Um, they wouldn't let us back in our apartments because of the damage that was done. So we had to find a place to stay. We finally found a bar that was open that had a generator. They had a couple of beers and a couple of hamburgers left. We had dinner as best we could. They had a TV. The game four had been canceled, of course. Everybody remembers Candlestick Park falling apart and all that uh, concrete. The freeway caving in. Yeah. Yes, all that. And the Bay Bridge caving in. All that was incredible. And the next day we had to go on the air and deal with this and we were two southern boys rob from memphis me from birmingham and we were like what do we what do we talk about about an earthquake what do we say so we went in and said that we don't know what to talk about we don't know what to say we're opening the phones for y'all and the it was one of the greatest times radio's ever been important in my personal life we collected we ended up collecting goods clothing goods diapers uh you know, and anything we could, we packed two 18-wheelers 
and Rob and I rode in them. I, my 18-wheeler went to Santa Cruz, which was awfully damaged, and Rob's went to Gilroy, which is the epicenter, which was also awfully damaged. And um, we distributed these goods. And I've never been involved in anything in my life except for the tornadoes here in Huntsville of 2012 that radio was so important and so people realized how important radio was. It's sort of a second thought for people. But in those times, radio came together for the people, and it, it really made me glad I was in this career. I'll Come on honest. with that, man. I'll be honest. It was one of the greatest times I've ever I've – e I really appreciated radio and what I was doing for the people and how the people responded to it and reacted to it. It was, it was fantastic. Rob says the same thing. Cheers. Yeah. It was a now good time. we're in 2019, and uh, we're still in radio. You're still in radio. You're a legend, sir. Yeah, I don't know about you're that. You're a living legend. Legend just means Who you're in old. this room thinks Jimbo Wood is a legend? Well, y'all just called me old. That's all you do. Well, pretty much, but yeah. <laughs> I'll remind you again. You started when I was born, but that's fine. <laughs> yeah. We've come full circle. I'll be 60 in two years. That blows me away. What's that? We're the only ones. Jack Spade in this room and me in this room was the only one. Oh, wow. So Jack Spade is you, the. I remember Jack Spade got hired and lied about his age. <laughs> I was never asked about my age. Uh-oh. Now we've got an age argument. Right. Good stuff. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, my man, it's a pleasure doing the mornings with you every single morning. We have a great time. 100%. Thank you for... Uh, this was fun remembering all this stuff. Don't you wish we could do our morning show on the couch and the and the uh, the Lazy Boy recliner yes. like you're in? Every, 100%. And have Q bringing the shots every other hour? Yes. 100%. <laughs> That's our goal. And a lot of people don't know, but uh, we have it. Well, we don't have a contract. But if we ever get a contract, our first thing that we put in it is if we get fired, what happens, Jimbo? We're getting jet skis. <laughs> We're going to put if a clause. If you fire me, your ass is going to have a jet ski in the front yeah. parking lot with a trailer. So that way, the morning we show up and there's two damn jet skis in the parking lot, we're like, fuck! <laughs> we got well, I'm fired, going... but look at those jet skis! Let's go to Lake Garzo! We're going to the lake! Let's go home and take a nap first because we're going to be tired. But then, yeah. we're taking out the... Who can be pissed off about a jet ski? Nobody. 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 That's going to be our contingent plan. Is a jet ski. Makes everybody happy. Oh, and Hank Mitchell Jr. came running through here. Look at Hank. All Look right, man. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. Thank and you. Uh, thanks, everybody, for tuning in to Cassio's Cut. Just can't get enough Casio? Well, you can check out more of Casio by listening to the Jimbo and Casio Morning Show 
Live 6 to 10 a.m. Central on therocket951.com. I got a new rule in life about food. The fancier the restaurant, the worse the nachos. Really? Think about that. Because I think it's just, we need to throw some good food on chips. And I think when you start getting fancy with it, you're trying to not just throw stuff on chips. You're trying to make it fancy. Nicer the place, less the nachos. Life lesson number 334 from Casio. That goes into my other stereotypes. The hairier are your arms, the worse you are at basketball. <laughs> and if you're at a car wash behind, after 10 p.m., you've killed somebody. <laughs> Those are life rules I live by, by the way. <laughs> Well, thank you. I'm glad to start the day with those. Listen live online or download the Rocket app for your tablet or smartphone. Just search WRTT Rocket 95.1 in the Apple or Google Play Store.